Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, Rules of Politics, Chapter 1, Count Your Votes. Here we go. Well, today should be an interesting show, Mark. Today we're going to recommend knowing where decision makers and influencers stand on proposals and decisions that matter to you and your team. Yeah. I hate to say this because I, like, I'm a high C, I'm an engineer, and I hate politics, but organizations are much more political than most or a lot of folks realize. Yeah. And now the people who notice it say, oh, I'm not going to play that game. They know it's political. They're not going to play that game. <laughs> to their detriment. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and whether you don't play the game because it's beneath you, which is just dumb. And I say that with full disclosure. I said that early in my career. Or you don't know that there are politics. Um, whether you don't see them or you ignore them is going to affect your career negatively. Professional life is human life. That means it's emotional. And if it's emotional, it's political. And I got to tell you, this is not good. I think that the, the trend in in major organizations is a move toward more technical people growing in the ranks. I think that's a good thing as the world becomes increasingly more complex and more technological. But engineers and software designers and technical people better take note because a lot of you quietly, privately hate those marketing people and the salespeople that end up getting promoted but they're going to end up being your boss unless you recognize the value of relationships and the politics that happen and who knows who and who likes who and who cares about what and so on. It is not the world and organizations as a subset of that is not a rational world. It's not. And it's easy, uh, it, relatively easy, right? This is, we're not talking rocket science here. All you no, have to do, yeah. if, you're, if you're smart enough to be an engineer or be a software designer or any, any technical position, you're smart enough to figure this stuff out. Yeah, in fact, our first cast about politics is just math, which is counting votes, right? And we've got four pieces of guidance. This is really a pretty high-level cast for me. I'm, I'm, I wrestle with it. But the fundamental guidance here is to count your votes. The first thing we got to people have got to understand this, and there are young idealists who don't get this. No decision is ever completely rational. There is no human decision that has ever been completely rational. It doesn't work that way. And then our second point is Horstman's Law of Politics, Organizational Politics, which is who feels what about which or whom. If that sounds like the Horstman's Law of Project Management, it's meant to because projects are political as well. Who feels what about which or whom? You've got to know how the players who make decisions, the people around you, your peers even, your boss, your boss's boss, more senior people, you have to know what they think about certain issues and how, what kind of relationships they have with whom. One of the things we talked about, Mike, in our, in our podcast about uh, managing your boss, which was a joke, you don't manage your boss, is know who your boss's friends and enemies are and do your boss's friends favors, but don't do your boss's enemies favors. Well, that kind of stuff is part of politics. Uh, and it's not because of their role or their role power. It's because your boss is friends with them or not. And you can complain about that all you want and complain about the guy who knows somebody in copy in the, in the copy room, who knows somebody in legal, who knows somebody in HR. He's brand new, but he knows everybody and he gets stuff done. You can complain that he's cheating, but really he's not. He's just operating in a human world. Number three is our key point. When you're getting ready to have a decision made, when you're giving a briefing, when you need a decision, when you need action taken or when there's brainstorming or something, count who will agree and disagree and who will disagree with you before you go into the meeting. Count. Say, I, okay, there are 10 people and I have eight that are for me and two that are against me. Okay, it'll probably work unless we're using a veto technique. And then the last thing you've got to do, which is really sort of an advanced bit, I just want people to, I want to put it out there because what I've discovered is when I give this guidance to mid-level managers and I say, you've got to become more political and they hate it, 
and I've learned to use different language, but we're going to call this politics so everybody hopefully gets over their concern about politics, is when it says we're going to recommend you consider compromising. When I tell people, look, when you count the votes, if you don't have enough, you got to be willing to give a little bit. And rational people tend to not want to compromise. They want their idea to be done as it is. But the fact is, is if you don't have the votes, then you better be willing to compromise. And half a loaf is better than none at all. Yeah. And, you, and if you know you're going to lose, you don't take it to a vote. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what counting votes in advance does. Yeah, no, this is, we're not ready for this. And if you go to your boss and you say, look, I've canvassed the field and I just don't think we can get people behind this. Well, why is that? I mean, it's on the agenda. Yeah, well, I've talked to like eight people and none of them want to get behind it. Now, you might get dinged for not having done your homework enough in advance, but that's better than getting dinged for presenting something that everybody disagrees with and the boss has wasted prestige agenda time and perhaps has done so in front of his or her boss. Yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. But of course, then that no vote, if eight out of 10 people said no, it doesn't pass. It's much harder to bring it up a second time a month later because somebody's going to say like, didn't we talk about this already? Yeah. Even if I was a yes before, the chance of me being a yes again when I lost eight to two, mm, not as good. Yeah. Harder sell. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the first point that no decisions are completely rational. Now, this this was a hard lesson for a lot of folks, and it was particularly a hard lesson for me because I, you know, I'm an engineer, I'm technically trained, and and I, I believe that everyone ought to make rational decisions. That's the just the way it should be done, right? Yeah, those shoulds and oughts, man, they'll kill you. <laughs> kill you every time. And it did. The problem with the mindset, and we understand it, I feel the same way you do, right? When I started my career, humans simply aren't cut out to make completely rational decisions. Even those folks who say they are, aren't. And they aren't nearly as often as they think or say they are. We've got to learn this principle. If we're always expecting other people to make rational decisions, we're going to forever be disappointed and surprised and headed in the wrong direction and misusing resources. The reason why is because no human being makes a completely rational decision. No one does because there's always judgment. There's always emotion involved. And they're going to, it's going to be rational to them. But what's rational to them may not be rational to you. Ben Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the United States of America, said, would you persuade, speak of interest, not of reason? In other words, don't marshal the facts. Show somebody why the thing you want is beneficial to their interest, to them. And so people apply judgment to the situations they're in, the decisions they take, the actions they engage in after the decisions, after they take those decisions. And because they have an emotion associated with them, it's not going to be completely rational. And when you say that something else doesn't make sense, well, I don't understand why that guy did what he did. It doesn't make sense to me. That's because it makes sense to him. And that just proves that the world's not completely rational because if it was completely rational or nearly so, or even close to being nearly so, you'd see a lot more decisions that everybody would agree with because the math is the math and there's no question about it. Guys, the fact is humans are emotional creatures, even engineers, okay? We can't escape it. Even with the most calculating, numerical, analytical decision-making process you've got, there will always be emotional judgment in that mix, Frankly, when you, whenever you say the word judgment, you give away the game. Judgment is by definition an opinion or a considered conclusion rather than a simple factual statement. Yeah. A matter of fact, a lot of folks say that decisions are made emotionally. And then even the most rational of us then look for 
the argument Absolutely. to support our yeah. emotional decision, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then now we're getting into oh, that's a whole other realm of social psychology, dude. We don't, I don't, I don't have the chops for that. But you're right. I see it happen all the time. And look, here's the problem, guys. The way the human brain, the human experience works is fairly straightforward. It's not up for argument. When we experience the world, all of us, always, 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 all of us experience the world through the same series of perceptions and, and steps and judgment. If an external event happens, we're standing on a street corner and something happens in front of us, we observe it, we perceive it. Before it gets to us in our brain where we get, actually get to think about it or cognate on it or you know, consider it, there are filters and biases which block some of it out and highlight other aspects of it. Already, our own personal makeup causes us to see not what truly happened, because in fact, what truly happened is unknowable, because human beings can't see what truly happened because we all have our filters and biases. We never actually understand what occurred because we don't know it. We only know what our filters showed us. If X happened, then we see X prime, which is the X that's gone through the filters. What happens next is we think about it. We cognate, we, we put cognitive rational thinking to it. But after that, all human beings then feel about the thing. We overlay an emotional blanket on top of it. And how we feel is the last step before we take action. It's only after we feel something that we do take action. So basically what this shows us is all human activity, even executive, manager, individual contributor, doesn't matter, springs from an emotional state. However brief, however argued with by the actor, right? Anytime you believe you've been rational, you're only rational from your perspective. Like I said before, the reason why other folks' behaviors don't make sense to you is precisely because they make sense only to them. And that's because their rationality is different than yours, because their thinking is different, their emotions are different, and of course their filters are different. Look, there's no human activity without emotion. There's a reason that the words motion and emotion are so similar. I mean, if we were only rational, there wouldn't be any imagination in the world. There wouldn't be any creativity. There wouldn't be any inspiration. It's folly to believe in purely rational decision-making. So what we have to recognize is the people around us in our organization are making decisions in part based on facts and figures and numbers, the rational stuff, the stuff that adds up. And they're also basing it on their biases, their filters, and their emotional state. And that's where politics come in, because emotions are what binds us to other people as well. We can look at two ideas that rationally are essentially equivalent and feel strongly about one and not about the other. If you believe there are no politics, then you believe essentially that people are unemotional, and therefore you leave out a significant part of the decision-making process for most people, or the action process for most people. It looks like two things are equal, but the guy seems to be going after one and not the other. You couldn't have predicted that if you didn't consider the politics how he feels about issues and about people. Okay, so let's let's talk about politics and more specifically let's talk about your law of politics. Who feels what about which or whom? And the interesting thing is it's not who thinks what, right? It's about it's about who feels what about which or whom. Yeah, it's it's been my law of politics. I've probably taught a couple of hundred executives at over the years who feels what about which or whom? We're not talking about what they think, although thinking comes into it. And they'll actually say, I think X or I think Y, when really what they're describing is their emotional state. But you need to know 
how people feel about various activities, various businesses, various projects and processes and, and, and reports and activities and initiatives and new products and new services and how they feel about margins and all kinds of things. Politics also springs from knowing who likes whom and who doesn't like whom. There's a great pithy sort of epigrammatic statement, which is life is not like college. College is studying hard and getting good grades and trying to get ahead. Life is like high school with money. Who likes who? Who's hanging out with whom? Who doesn't like who? Who's cool? Who's not? And what that says is life is really driven way way more by emotions than those of us who are engineers wish it were. Everyone's emotions are their own. And the only way to understand decision-making and therefore activity in the organization is to understand people. Yeah, and I hope the engineers and software guys and, and all the technical folks listening hear that, right? I mean, because that was difficult a long time ago for me to hear, that it's not about facts and figures and numbers and logic. Um, and as soon as you realize that, you learn that you have to understand people, the emotional side of people. Yeah, it's so much easier to stay rational. Because it adds up, because you can do math on it, because you can parse it, because you can look at it five different ways, because it doesn't argue back, it doesn't move, it doesn't change. It's easier. When people say, I'm not going to play politics, they're taking the low route, road. They're saying, I don't want to work on that hard stuff, mm. because I don't like the way people change their minds, or, or they align with people that are stupid, or I disagree with that person, or whatever, which is, of course, their own emotional state being applied to somebody else as well. Yeah. You can complain all you want, guys, but you've got to understand the emotional influences that people pay attention to if you want to influence others. Who are the people that this one person that you're thinking we're talking about, look, if you want to influence your boss, who are the people that a person listens to or gives credence to if they're going to seek those people out for input? And which issues matter most to this person? These are questions that we recommended you know about your boss, right? The politics of your relationship with your boss ought to be fairly obvious to most people who are listening if they're paying attention to their, their managerial life, right? So you've got to be able to think about, okay, who does my boss know? Who does he like? Who doesn't he like? And by the way, hopefully you ought to be able to tell your directs as a manager, you ought to be telling your directs the same thing about you. Uh, and you also ought to know what your boss wants in terms of results and why he prefers project X to project Y and so on. If you don't know that stuff, Predicting your bosses or a peers or a senior person's behaviors is almost impossible because their behaviors are going to be driven by their emotional state. And their emotional state is who feels what about which or whom? How do they feel about stuff? What alliances do they have? What are their hot button issues? Who are they friends with? What is most important to them? For some, it's a promotion. For some, it's power. For some, it's other people. For some, it's prestige. For some, it's perfection. For some, it's peacefulness. All of those things are completely legitimate outcomes that different types of people would want to achieve. If you don't know it, the big mistake that I've seen young people make is they, they try to make the word rational in part by simply saying everybody is motivated the way I'm motivated. Why wouldn't he want to get promoted? Why wouldn't he want that job? It's a cooler job. It's a better job. It's a more visible job. Well, the only reason you'd say, why wouldn't he, is because you're not willing to ask yourself, what does that person want and why? And when you start not playing politics, guys, because it's not playing, when you consider politics 
and the emotional state of people around you and who they asso- who they associate with, who are their friends, who are their enemies, and, and you consider their emotional attachment to various projects and processes and all the various characteristics of organizations, you will begin only then to start being able to predict why people do what they do. And if you can predict, you can reduce so much wasted effort. And, and look, guys, you're saying, okay, fine, I get it. I got to start paying attention to what he likes and what he doesn't like and who are his friends and who are not his friends. And guys, I got to tell you, if you don't know right now off the top of your head who your top three, who your boss's top three friends are, you're not paying attention because you should be able to figure that out in a week. And you should also know who his or her enemies are. Okay. The easiest way to learn about this is to not beat yourself up that you don't know. Fine. You don't know. It's okay. There are a lot of other people who don't know who aren't listening to the show. And so you'll have a leg up on them. The easiest way to learn about it is to keep track. When someone does something significant, you know, pick somebody, probably your boss to start with could be a key peer. Uh, when somebody does something significant a deci- and decisions happen to be an easy one, in my experience, to pay attention to, ask yourself what or who might have caused this person to make that decision. Then just write down what factors you think mattered most. I don't care if you're right or not. You probably don't need more than 10 factors. You really don't. If you have 30, you're wasting your time. You, there's, there's too many. You're going to get too nuanced. You're not going to be able to see the big picture. Just write down the factors that you think mattered most. Maybe you're in a meeting and your boss's boss, Robert, says so-and-so. And that's the law of the land from now on. Well, write down the things that Robert said before and during and in the discussion and so on. What points were most important to him? Write them down. Circle them over in the corner. So now you know that was what you feel like. Not that you're certain you're right, but that's what you feel like that that person used as criteria, as alliances, as emotional connections to the decision he or she made. And then all you need is probably five to 10 decisions like that. You're in meetings with people all the time. Pay attention to whose name they mention. Pay attention to whose names they don't mention. Pay attention to which people in the room they agree with and which people they don't. And just write those things down. After five or 10 interactions, you're going to have a gut sense of what the, who their two best friends are, who their two worst enemies are, what key things are important to them. Gosh, if you put this together with disc profiles, you'd really have something. And look, an even faster way to consider politics or to consider the political ramifications of decisions and actions in the organization, if you don't want to say politics, is to ask those people who are familiar with the person you're thinking about, trying to pay attention to their their political leanings, if you will. Yeah, your peer who's worked for this person for 10 years, for example. Yeah, if you and I are peers and you report to Callahan and I report to Jerry, right? And I say to you, look, I got to give a thing to Callahan. What can you tell me about him? You know, what have you seen from him? Who does he hang out with? You know, what is, what is his hot budget button issues? Is he going to be big on the budget here? Or is he going to be big on margin? Is he going to be big on revenue? What is it? And you write those, and I write those things down. And that way, when I go to Callahan, I don't brief Callahan the way I would brief Jerry. I brief Callahan the way I need to brief Callahan. And I know what his politics tend to be. I'm not going to be perfect the first time or the second time or even the third time, but I'm going to get better and better. And the sooner you start this in your career, guys, the sooner you start, the easier it is to essentially layer the experiences and suddenly you'll have an epiphany. You won't even realize you've been studying it and suddenly you realize, oh, I now know why so-and-so does that, does this and such. It won't be the result of an effort to find that piece of information out. 
you'll just be steeped in enough information. Your brain, your subconscious will help you figure out what it is you need to be, th- you need to be thinking about relative to interacting with that person. So start doing this stuff now. Start paying attention to who knows whom and what the key factors are that they feel strongly about in their work life. This is how decisions are made. Like it or not, they're made emotionally. And you got to pay attention. Okay, so let's get to the actionable part you said beginning that uh, was in this case. Oh, actually, what you just said was very actionable, right? So, so our next point is not the only actionable thing, but count who will agree and who will disagree. It sounds pretty simple. Yeah, well, look, we, we throw the rational people a bone. We're going to let you count. <laughs> um, look, for any meeting you attend and decisions that are made there, it's simple. Do you know how each person at the meeting will decide? In other words, what will be their recommendation or their decision? And do you know how they came to that conclusion? Do you know the who that was involved in it and the what and the which that were involved in it for that particular person? Have you thought through what their non-rational factors are? And this is essentially scenario-based thinking. You count. I got 10 people I'm going to brief in. Hopefully, I'm smart enough to do a pre-wire. If you don't know what a pre-wire is, you've got to go listen to that cast. And I'm meeting with them individually and finding out what their hot buttons are and who they agree with and who they disagree with. If you sit down with a CFO or if you sit down with a, with a controller and the controller says, you know, what does the a CFO say? Well, okay, that's not unusual for a controller to say that, but it also means he's not going to blow off his boss. It means whatever his boss does the controller is likely to do too. And so therefore, you don't have to spend a lot of time with the controller. You can just get the CFO, assuming he's gettable. In other words, assuming you can have a discussion with him or her and actually convince them of your point of view. But what you do is if the controller and the CFO are in the room, you count. Will the controller vote for me or against me? Will the CFO vote for me or against me? And, and I got to tell you, there's, there's a rule. When CEOs go to board meetings and when city managers go to city council meetings, always know what the vote is going to be. If you're surprised by a vote, you haven't done your homework. In fact, we should have called this cast. We should have named this cast negatively. Never be surprised by a vote, mm, yeah. right? That's uh, a cardinal sin of, of politics. And look, guys, it is true that certain bosses overrule everybody. That happens. But it's far more likely that attendees at a meeting are going to be asked, what do you think? And some sort of precise or imprecise count is going to be tallied up by the, the key decision maker. The only way to prepare for the subtleties of a decision brief or a recommendation session is to know in advance how each person is going to vote based on their non-rational decision criteria. And the only way to do that is to count votes. So you have to sit down and go, who's going to be in the room? What do I think he's going to do? And if you discover it's eight to two against, you've got homework to do. You've got to modify your proposal. You've got to ask, for your, bo- ask your boss for more time. You've got to be willing to make some compromises. Yeah. And folks, you start doing this, you may find that Initially, you're terrible at this, and you'll be shocked and maybe disappointed in your ability to predict how people are going to vote. But if you do this a few times, you will get way better very, very fast. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. If you start counting votes and start thinking about non-rational decision influencers, you are now going to become ready to learn, and the teacher will appear, and you'll suddenly notice Behaviors that would have confounded you six months ago suddenly are very clear because of the alliance somebody has with somebody else, uh, because of this person's desire for power above all else, and so he'll do anything to get a promotion, those kinds of things. You simply have to open yourself up to it in order to see 20 to 30 to 40% more. And the other rule is 
what do we know about adult human beings? The best way for them to learn is to do. And the first time you do something, you suck at it. Yeah. So do nothing. you're not going to be, you're not going to be any good at it, but you have to start somewhere. So on, on a meeting that you go to, maybe it's a project meeting where you don't say a lot, start paying attention to the political headwinds, tailwinds, crosswinds, and undercurrents in the meetings and try to figure out where they're coming from and why they would be coming from that way. And once you start counting votes and knowing, or at least getting pretty good at predicting how people are going to vote, then the art of compromising comes up. Yeah. And you know, this is another one. I don't know about you, Mike, but I, I struggle with this. I didn't, I, I thought I had a good idea and I had the passion of, you know, the persuader. I was going to convince them that my idea was great. I suspect I had a much harder time than you, right? Because I wanted to be right. And the idea of compromising to me was, was almost I'm okay, almost so you think it was harder for you because I felt it was pretty hard for me. Oh, it was now, hard. I, yes. Now, it may be, maybe you and I are very unusual in this regard. I haven't asked young people lately. I, I should have, and I did not, about, okay, guys, what, what's your experience? Do you, did, you, did you find yourself rolling over a lot in your career, or did you have the passion? I mean, it may just be that we're type A or we're high Ds or whatever. I, I don't know. But, but I have to tell you something. Compromise is inevitable inevitable. And folks, if you're listening and you have interest in being an executive, there is all this stuff about a champion of a product and he's going to get it done and it's going to get pushed through the system and it'll get, it'll get finished and we'll build that new branch or whatever. It's total hogwash. That passionate person, that champion of that idea is constantly making trade-offs, constantly changing A for B, giving somebody this, changing the sub, the, the supplier on that, changing the subroutine here, doing this, doing that in order to make sure that the darn thing gets built or sold or serviced or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and folks, if you're continually complaining to your boss or to your peers about your boss caving in, or we, you wouldn't say compromise, you'd, you'd say playing politics or all that, stop it because you look stupid. <laughs> you do because that's, that's the way things get done. Like it or not, that's the way it works. Yeah. I think there are a lot of young people. I know in my experience, I would look at my boss and go, why didn't you fight for that? And he would say, now's not the time, right? Because he knew somebody else had the votes. And you don't want to fight when you can't win. So as Sun Tzu would say, you know, if your enemy is superior, leave the field. Yeah. Everybody listening to this cash should get this. If they're paying attention to American United States politics at all. And it's the lack of compromise that, frankly, is getting us into a mess, right? Things yeah. aren't getting done because people have forgotten about compromise. Yeah, too many of us behave as if we would rather get our idea denied or rejected or passed over rather than changing it. Yeah, as a matter of principle, right? Yeah. yeah. And you can get 70, 80 to 90% of your idea implemented if you're willing to shave off the, the rough edges. Now, look, we'll, in deep, more detail, we'll talk about how to compromise with people at some point in the future. But for now, it's your vote counting based on our law of politics that gets you there. In other words, you know who's going to vote for you and against you and what needs to be changed in order to placate the people that might be voting no to turn them into yeses, okay? What you need to do is engage in behaviors designed to get the necessary number of votes. Now, we're not suggesting you fall on your sword and compromise the fundamental idea of your product or service in a way that makes it kludgy. But generally speaking, organizations don't ask you to do that and they don't want kludgy built, they're not going to spend the resource to it, particularly nowadays. They're not. So if you think, oh my gosh, it just won't be the same, that's only because you're the father or the mother of your idea. And 
when babies are two years old or when they're one year old or, and they're cute and cuddly and everything, everybody loves them. And then they turn 13 and suddenly they're teenagers. Well, you've got to let go of the love you have for your idea because your idea means nothing if you love it and it doesn't get implemented because an idea that doesn't get implemented is not an idea at all. It's just a, it's a dream. Okay. If, however, you compromise and you get your idea implemented, it will still be your idea. And as I said before, half a loaf is better than no loaf at all. And guys, we know what we're telling you here is not easy to swallow. Emotionally, it's hard to swallow. And it is absolutely the start of your path toward being an executive. Okay? If the vice president of sales has a great idea, but the VP of manufacturing won't build it, that product, that service is never, ever going to make a bit of difference to the organization. When the VP of sales comes to him and says, I really need some help here, Bob, like, well, okay, I'll see what I can do. And he says, I can't build that. The VP of sales goes, okay, what can you build? And let's see if we can't figure out something that'll work that'll capitalize on this piece of the market. And now the VP of manufacturing knows he's doing a favor to the VP of sales. So then when he has a problem with how things are being talked about in the field or how repairs are coming back from customers and so on, the VP of manufacturing has a chip in the game and those kind of favors are exchanged. Because at the top of your organization, you can't do anything by yourself. It's all compromise. And if you haven't learned when you're 25 or 30 or 35, you'll be woefully inept at it and you won't come across as an executive and you'll resign to pursue other opportunities, which is always too bad. Yeah. And that's it. It's a very high level cast, but the key, the key thing is guys, don't walk into a meeting without knowing how everybody's going to vote. The way you know how everybody votes is by saying who feels what about which or whom. And remember that people's decisions are just not completely rational. They're not. And you may have to compromise, but take it from somebody who's compromised a lot when it comes to ideas and implementation, it's way better because you get part of your idea implemented and you can learn it. And then once it's out there and it's got some credibility, then you can change it back to your original design. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's another cast. Yes, it is. The Machiavellian law of politics. (laughs) All right, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, partner. (laughs) We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Have a great one. So long.